podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Eurotales. Every club in Europe and the regions that contributed to continent's footballing pyramid has a story to tell. And we're going to tell it to your pod friends through a medium of experts and passionate fans in the know. We have a jam-packed episode featuring some of the finest footballing minds in our known universe. Chapter 1, we're off to Francais to hear the word on the beat from the streets of Nice with Roy Kelly. Roy was a BBC journalist for many a year. His life journey has taken him from Blackpool to Nice, the French club, has become the apple of his eye, thanks to a chance meeting with a club rep many moons ago. Roy is a Nice ticket holder ever since. Nice are eerily quiet this transfer window, with the big kickoff looming. The billionaire owner Englishman Sir Jim Radcliffe is embroiled in a takeover of Manchester United. In Chapter 2, the Bundesliga is calling. And we explore a side on the opposite end of the transfer spectrum from Nice, Stuttgart. They've been ever so busy shopping through the transfer aisles. We are graced with the expertise of Jake from the brilliant 50-plus donor German football Twitch show. Chapter 3, we conclude with a scout and an analyst, Peter Patroff, for a deep-dive profile of Hart's new signing, Callum Nuronoff. The starlet from Western Sydney Wanderers is the latest import to make the jump from the A-League to the SBL. Peter also highlights some shining lights in the A-League who are next off the conveyor belt to make the jump through Europe. Let's get into it. your bags we are off to nice in france we're on the banks of the mediterranean with a club who are said to be basking in the money ogc nice are owned and bankrolled by english billionaire sir jim radcliffe on paper you would think the club hasn't a worry in the world but football ain't played on paper in august 2019 ineos the company that Sir Jim Radcliffe founded rolled into town. They came to the Côte d'Azur and purchased the French club. Speaking at the time to the thirsty media, Radcliffe said, We are absolutely delighted about requiring Nice. It has been quite a long journey getting here. But it is a unique opportunity and we are determined to complete the purchase of the club. We have looked at a lot of clubs in the manner we look at business in Ineos for value and potential. Nice fulfills that criteria. With some sensible measured investment, we want to establish Nice as a team that competes in European club competition on a regular basis, and more importantly, sustain it. Four years on, the club is out of European competition and ominously quiet in the transfer window, as the distracted owner attempts to buy his boyhood club, Manchester United. And they also have a new manager at the helm for a third summer in a row. 
What is going on? Well, let's find out. We are lucky enough to have a former BBC journalist on the ground in Nice who can give us the lay of the land due to the fact he is a long-standing season ticket holder at the French club and is lucky enough to live in beautiful Nice on the banks of the Mediterranean in the Côte d'Azur. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Roy Kelly. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Roy. I fell in love with French football a few years ago and something somewhere drew me to Nice. As I perused and researched through Liga One Twitter, I gorged on the content and I often came across your intimate knowledge of the club from the Côte d'Azur. So sincere thank you for joining us on the Your Tales podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself, Roy, and how Nice captured your footballing heart. Um, well, basically, I was a BBC journalist for 26 years. I uh, was very fortunate that I travelled around the world with the BBC. And my football love uh, was and still is Blackpool Football Club in England. That's the team that I supported from 1967. But for anybody with an intimate knowledge of Blackpool, you know that they are the word crisis and will always be the word crisis. Um <laughs> And I came to live in Nice. Well, I'd been coming to Nice for many, many years, actually, on holiday or visits. Uh, I even had my honeymoon with my ex-wife in Nice, would you believe? Um, (laughs) uh, I never thought I'd come here and live many, many years later. But I I, I came over here full time about eight or nine years ago now and and made my home in Nice. And it was round about the time that Blackpool were having um, their usual latest crisis and that the football supporters were boycotting en masse from all the home games. And so nobody was going because of the owners. And it was yeah. around about that time that um, uh, I was in Nice and started to follow OGC Nice a little bit closer. I'd always been aware as to their lack of success. And that appealed to me because it seems to be what I attract in football. And um, I, I bought a season ticket and I got it because I was stood in the centre of Nice in Place Messina one day and a beautiful young girl came up to me wearing a Nice shirt and she was working in the club shop and she said, and it was a French conversation, she said that they were actually giving away uh, free tickets for the next home game because they were struggling to get supporters out to the Allianz Riviera, which is may as well be in Rio de Janeiro. It's so far away from Nice. And um, I went to a game and I think it was against Scangom and they lost 1-0. But the thing that dragged me in was the incredible atmosphere at the stadium. And immediately afterwards, I bought a season ticket. And basically, I've been the season ticket holder at the club now for, I think it's about nine years. And in that, those nine years, I've seen no success. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. That was great marketing by the club. They sucked you in, eh? Oh, absolutely. It was the easiest thing in the world to do. Just send a young girl out wearing a, a, a knee shirt with a big smile and say, there's a free game to go to. Do you want to go? Yes, I am going. <laughs> she definitely deserves some commission on all them. She seasons. definitely did, yes. <laughs> so that's really good. A very unique background from Blackpool to Liga. Mm. Oh, you're a glutton for punishment. So we're in the summer window now. Another Liga One season is fast mm. approaching. And yet again, your beloved niece, have a new manager in the hot seat. Oh, it seems yeah. to be a regular occurrence, eh, in recent well, times. The odd thing is that if you were to have this conversation maybe five years ago, uh, that would never be a subject matter because Nice had never sacked a coach midway through a season. But, of course, this club has now changed beyond recognition because of the uh, 
uh, investment and the input from Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. And so, yes, you're right. It's another brand new coach. It's a coach that I have never heard of, never heard of. Um, they had Didier Dijard who'd taken over from Lucien Favre, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly the favourite was going to be Graham Potter. You know, he'd been sacked by Chelsea. He was a big name. There was a lot of money to be invested in the club. He was almost certainly going to be announced, announced as the coach. And then suddenly it didn't happen. And now we have a new coach that no one has heard of. He's a former Italian goalkeeping coach. And I think his last um, his job was in the Turkish league. And so this could be the biggest gamble the club can ever, ever take. And if it works, well done. If it doesn't, I really will wonder as to what's going on at the club. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's funny you say that, you know, because when they didn't give Dija, you know, a, a, a real go and a full mm. season, you think they would have gone for experience. But this guy is the same age as him, and he's never played professional football either. No, absolutely. And by the way, Francesco Farioli, it's, 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 it's extraordinary because when it's a, it's a long story with Nice and their, their coaches and managers. I mean, we had Lucien Favre many years ago who was absolutely superb. Um, he took them to the top of the league and for about 12 weeks, got them into the Champions League. These were the days when we had Mario Balotelli, etc. And then he went on to bigger things at uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, kind of had two or three years there where he couldn't quite get them to where they wanted to be. But then let's be fair, when you're fighting Bayern Munich, it's difficult. So after Lucien Favre uh, left, Patrick Vieira came in, who was, I'm sorry to say, an unmitigated disaster for far too long. Um, he was then dismissed eventually. And again, it was a, an Ineos dismissive, uh, dismissal, rather, um, something which hadn't happened mid-season before. Christophe Gaultier came in after winning the title at Lille. It looked like he was going to take them to somewhere very, very special. They made the French Cup final. They were second with Paris Saint-Germain uh, up until January, then to use that old English expression, their, their, their form fell off a cliff. He then left to go to Paris Saint-Germain and Lucien Favre came back. He was dismissed after three months and, and Didier Dijon came in and he had the most amazing start. Uh, the first game he played, we won 6-1 against Montpellier. Um, he had 14 match unbeaten run, of which there were three wins in a week where they won at uh, Lons, uh, who had won 10 games in a row. Uh, they yeah. beat Lille at home. They won at Marseille, which is a massive result for, for me. Tough games, all three, yeah? Yeah, and then two weeks later, we went to Monaco. We beat them 3-0. Um, everything was looking really good. And then suddenly, it all started to go wrong. And it went wrong because he made some rather disparaging comments concerning the supporters, and in particular, the ultras and the uh, popular sued. And yeah. um, then basically threw away what was an almost certain semi-final place in the Europa Conference League by making uh, incomprehensible substitutions, is the way I would describe it, with 10 minutes to go when Nice were leading 1-0. Ultimately, uh, it was 1-1 at the end, went into extra time, and um, Basel, or Ball, as they're called in France, um, 1-2-1. So that was the reason, really, why he was not given a full-time job. And so here we are. And the feeling on the ground, is it, Roy, that, they're happy to see the back at Dijard, are they? Um, yes and no. I mean, he's a he's a club legend. He's a former player who everybody took to their hearts. And I think because at first he had this calm uh, demeanour and the touchline, and because they were winning matches, um, he was also very, very popular. But you know what football fans are like. Immediately something goes wrong. They start booing and they start criticising. 
And I think that was the problem is that he then reacted to that in a press conference and any goodwill between the two seemed to have disappeared at that point. And I think they want him still at the club, but in a much kind of um, lower role, so to speak. He's behind the scenes now, yes. Mr. Steve. Yes. So this new Italian guy, Feroli, himself only in the mid-30s, as we said, will mm. the pressure be on this man? Uh, 100%, because a strange thing has happened at OGT Nice over the past two, uh, two months or so. Um, Ineos, and of course now seem to be looking elsewhere, they've got a, a, a more expensive toy to play with in the hope of you know, buying Manchester United, or if that falls through, they'll look for Everton, or they'll look for somebody else, you know. Um, and so they seem to be losing interest in Nice because, to be fair, Nice have, have failed. They failed with the investment. They failed to actually take the club forward. They're nowhere near where they should be. Um, and Jean-Pierre Riviere, the president, has basically resurfaced after seemingly disappearing for a year. And in his press conference said that um, the ambitions are not as great as they were, which is an extraordinary thing to say publicly. So... Yeah. The investment is not there. He said publicly, we are no longer challenging Paris Saint-Germain, which basically is saying to the fans, don't expect anything special. You know, we've underachieved for the past three years. So whatever happens now, they will overachieve. It's great marketing, I suppose, by the club. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it means that you're going into a season. That, and I also have to point out, Nice have not bought one single player in the month since the transfer market, the Mercato actually started. And they are the only league and club so far not to have brought in a single player. And the squad that they've got at the moment is far too weak. Some of the players that were basically making the, the team last season have now left. Aaron yeah. Ramsey has gone to Cardiff. Uh, Ross Barkley, who was criminally underused when um, he was at the club, has disappeared. I don't know where he's gone to. Nicola Pepe, who was a bit of a failure, has also gone. And of course, there's a suggestion now that Kasper Schmeichel will also go too. So these big name players have all gone and there's been no one to replace them. So to answer your question, will there be a lot of pressure? Intense pressure, intense pressure. It, it seems that the club is in a bit of a limbo with this Radcliffe proposed takeover of Man United. Would that be fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of mistrust as well. When, when Ineos first came in, it's like everything. When, when suddenly you receive a lot of money, you think, oh, this is it. We're sorted. We're going to be the next Manchester City. We're going to be the next Paris Saint-Germain. But it did not work that way. And it didn't work because it felt to me as if um, Nice were like, you know, if you suddenly win yourself a, a million pounds, you go on eBay and you buy everything. You buy everything because yes. you can just buy it. You don't know if you want it. You just buy it. And that seemed to be their policy when it came to transfers. They would just see a player who will have him, will have him, and then not know what to do with him. And because there didn't appear to be a proper structure in place for this amount of money, nobody quite knew what they were doing. And there were certain individuals who have come into the club who, I'm not going to mention them because it's slightly unfair, but you think, well, why are you here? What are you doing? What, what can you bring to the club? And because the, the, the management levels above the coach have changed on a regular basis, it, it's like a ship that's just been floating in the sea and not knowing where it's going. And, and that's basically what Nice is at the moment. Um, and if Sir Jim Ratcliffe gets his way and buys Manchester United, I don't think he will withdraw the investment from Nice, but it won't be increased. And I think they will be very much a second best. It'll be, you know, you're there in the background. Just look after yourself. Yeah. Do you think it will any departures possibly fund the spending spree? There's rumours about 22-year-old midfielder Kefren Churam attracting 
interest from Liverpool and Germany. Just how good is he? He is very, very good. Um, and the sad thing is, it's a reminder of the days of not too long ago when Nice were very much a selling club. Um, Alan San Maximam, who went to Newcastle, was one of the most the greatest talents I think I'd ever seen. And I don't know yeah. if he's still at Newcastle now. I don't hear much from him nowadays. But he's a very good player. And Liverpool have spoken to him, I think, three or four times. But the interest seems to cool down somewhat. And there was even a suggestion that he was willing to stay another season and then take advantage of a bigger transfer next year. But I don't know whether that's just um, social media talk or whatever. But if he goes, I mean, Nice are in a mess. If he goes, they really are struggling. They don't have a squad that's good enough to get even into the top 10 at the moment, never mind Europe. And so I, I don't know what they're going to do, but if they sell him, they really do need to, to, to pay big and buy big and bring in some very good players. Do you, do you think this sort of reset the club might be going through? They might sort of return to academy players again? I think that's probably the idea. I think um, they realise that the, the, the main problem is that Nice is um, it's a community club. It always has been. Um, it's got a passionate support. It's got a big support. But as I referred to earlier on, I know this doesn't sound like it should be that important, but it is. The stadium is so far away from the city that yeah. it takes a major effort to get there. And so quite often the attendances are far lower than they should be. So if they're averaging 25,000, that is actually very good for OGC Nice. Um, and, and if you don't have the revenue coming in uh, on match days, you can go look elsewhere. And the investment, for what I can gather, has been severely cut back by Ineos. And so, yes, I think it's just unsustainable now. So maybe they do have to look at their academy, which, by the way, is very, very strong. But it's the frustration for the Nice supporters is it's always this is another rebuilding year. This is another rebuilding year. And you never get to the point when it's actually been built. And that's when you see, you know, a club emerge like Lawns and then mm. get into the Champions League. Nice fans must have a degree of envy seeing clubs like them pass them out, given the mooted financial power the club has meant to have had over the last few years. Absolutely. And I think... Uh, there, there's been two defining moments in the past uh, two years where the Nice fans have just, figuratively speaking, been banging their heads against a, a brick wall. It was when they got to the French Cup final um, against Nantes and yeah. the team just did not turn up. The team just, the, they froze. I, I don't recall them having one single attack on goal apart from the first, I think, the first minute. Um, it was a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful performance. And that was followed by, as I referred to earlier on, the European night when uh, they had, the possibility of making history. They could have reached the semi-final of a European competition for the first time in their entire history. And they were four minutes away from doing it. Four minutes. Oh. And it was the substitutions from uh, Didier Degard that, uh, that changed things. And it was the outpouring of anger that followed that I think really has defined the way Nice has been over the past few years, that there's, there's this holy grail that nobody can find. It's there somewhere, but they can't get to it. And now that... Uh, the president is turning around and, and making comments about we need to kind of readjust ourselves and try not to be um, try not to be Paris Saint Germain's main contenders. They've never got close to Paris Saint Germain. They yeah. have never. You know, Marseille can't get close to Paris Saint Germain, and they're the biggest club in France. So there is a huge amount of frustration around the, the club at the moment. And finally, Roy, going into the new season, you, you've said some of your concerns. If 
by uh, some miraculous turn of events the next few weeks. The coffers have some money again. Where do you think the club really needs to strengthen before the big kickoff? Um, it's a good question. Um, uh, they've got a very good scorer in uh, Moffy. Uh, but yes. He's on yeah. um, he was an outstanding purchase and, and an astonishing purchase when you think um, how they basically... Uh, to, he turned down Marseille and he turned down Southampton and West Ham and Everton. So that was incredible. Um, I mean, the midfield is run by Dante, the captain, but Dante's 40. Dante's yeah. 40 years of age. He's still doing Isn't it the performance? It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But all it needs is an injury and suddenly he's gone and there's no one to back him up. So I think, I, I don't know. I, I, they've, they've had one preseason friendly so far and that was last week. And I think it was in way at Lausanne. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was. All I do know is they were 3-0 down after 25 minutes. So oh. <laughs> there are some major, major works to be done because if they don't strengthen and really, really strengthen, um, they will not be a top, top 10 side. Uh, and they have to be in Europe. They've got to be in Europe every year, even if it's the Conference League. You know, it's essential that Nice gets into Europe because without that... Um, that, that holy grail, so to speak, of European football, the supporters are going to start losing interest. Uh, and it's yes. interesting to see that um, when they played that Conference League uh, quarterfinal, they had 34,000 in the stadium. Three days later, when they played the next league match, there were 9,000. Now, that's a massive uh, drop. And it was done basically because the supporters were boycotting. But even so, you know, you cannot have a stadium that large, that big, with so much uh, hope within the club and play in front of fewer than 10,000 supporters. So they do need to buy a lot of players and very, very quickly. And where do you think the club will finish this year, Roy? Hand on heart. What, what's your feel? Um, I think if they don't buy sufficiently, they will probably finish around about ninth or 10th, which is of no use to anybody. If they do yeah. use the investment and get some decent players in, they can challenge for Europe, but I cannot see them being any higher than a Europa League, possibly. Certainly not Champions League. They're, they're a million miles or a million kilometres away from that at the moment. And so Jim Ratcliffe, it, what, how is his name talks about on the streets of Nice? Is he like? He was. He was very much so. Um, when he came to the Monaco game that we won 3-0 earlier this year, uh, his name was chanted. He was waving to the supporters. Everything was great. But then, of course... You hear that, first of all, he wanted to buy Chelsea. And he's got every right to buy whatever he wants, basically. Um, and now he's chasing after Manchester United because he is a Manchester United supporter. Um, but the concern is that, well, you've just bought a football club. You've got another one in Switzerland somewhere that has dropped down to the third league. Um, you know, it's not a toy. If you're going to buy this club, you've got to really invest in it properly and you've got to make sure it works properly. And it just seems now as if he has lost interest. His brother, Bob, was part of the tier, uh, the club, but has now has since left. So I don't really know. I mean, I, I think it's a very hit and miss relationship at the moment between the supporters and Sir Jim Ratcliffe. I don't think many of them trust him anymore, unfortunately. I had a similar experience with my uh, beloved Aston Villa. We uh -huh. had uh, Randy Lerner, mm. and when he first came in, all the bells and whistles and loads of players coming in, and for two seasons we were in a limbo he just mm. like completely lost the interest and we flew around the the sinkhole and eventually it 
culminated in relegation. But hopefully that is not the road for Nice, Roy. We will have to get you on again, too, to discuss Blackpool, my friend. Yes, I'd be more than happy to talk about Blackpool. That could take you about 24 hours. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I've, I have seen Blackpool at the top of the Premier League, albeit only for two hours. And I've seen them trying to uh, be re-elected from the Football League. So I've seen every single possible emotion. I've gone through every every emotion with Blackpool. And I think I'm probably that, exhausted right now. That's for life at Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's why whatever happens at Nice, seriously, there's nothing that they could do that can hurt me the way Blackpool have. <laughs> Roy Kelly, has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Well, what a pleasure to have Roy on the podcast. His insights, as you can see, are oh so rare. Thank you so much, Roy. The League One kickoff is looming. And unfortunately for Nice, they seem to be the innocent bystanders of Radcliffe's attempted takeover of Manchester United. The new manager, Francesco Faroli, is highly rated in some quarters. His age is that of other successful European coaches, such as Nagelsmann and Reggie Labrie, but a manager is only as good as his players. He is well-versed in the game, serving an apprenticeship under current Brighton manager De Zebri back in the native Italy. 4-3-3 is his preferred tactical setup, and it is important to note he guided his previous Turkish employers to fifth, their highest ever finish in the club's history. Could his methods grow in French football, akin to Igor Tudor's at Marseille last season? Or are Nice set for another season of flux and building resentment in the stands? Time will tell. If Nice can better their ninth place finish last year, we'll check back in with Roy in the coming months. For Manchester United fans, they will be hoping the Ineos Nice project is not a relevant case study if Radcliffe acquires the English giants. The Nice project initially promised to topple Juggernaut's PSG. Now a mid-table dweller and cutting their wage bill, that seems to be the order of the day at Nice. The link to Roy's Twitter handle is in the show notes. If you want unique takes on a, this magnificent French football club from an Englishman living in Nice, he's the man to follow. Thank you, Roy. Now, we are off to a side on the opposite end of the transfer spectrum from Nice Stuttgart in the Bundesliga. They're the polar opposite of Nice thus far in this summer's transfer window, and they're gliding through the transfer aisles with vigour. The German club only just survived the threat of relegation last season via playoff relegation battle. Well, what they call it in Germany is a playoff relegation playoff. There's a tongue twister for you. So they defeated Hamburg. In truth, they need reinforcements when they've just escaped relegation by such a fine margin. They don't want to fly so close to the sun again next season. They ended the season, though, on a surge. When all hope looked lost in April, the club was rooted to the basement of the Bundesliga table. Relegation seemed inevitable, but they threw the managerial dice and subsequently exploded on a new manager bounce, losing only two of their last 12 games. 
Let's get the lowdown on what's going down at Stuttgart. Pardon the pun from German football expert Jake from the Magic 50 plus donor German football Twitch show. This summer has been an interesting one on a lot of fronts in the Bundesliga. But surprisingly, it's been an interesting one from the standpoint of a team that barely survived relegation this year and the year before that too. The thing about clubs that end up around relegation is that they usually need to change things up for the next season, but for repeat offenders, they're down there because either they don't know how to try or they don't know how to switch things up to improve. Stuttgart this season, though, they seem to not want to fall under any of those categories. Balaf Beach Stuttgart, whose stadium is actually in between the Porsche Arena and the Mercedes-Benz Museum, which is actually very cool, I would definitely suggest you go there, is now also in between the two as a business venture. Their main sponsor is Mercedes-Benz, but they've also added Porsche as a sponsor as well to start the summer. With that in mind, everything else just kind of makes sense in how they're trying this summer. They've been super aggressive in the transfer window so far, and they're trying to cash in on people who may not have gotten a whole lot of time in their former clubs, and they want to give them some time in Bad Konstadt. For example, they re-signed promising talent, and also he should be doing way better candidate, Seru Garassi, and from there, they've made a, a nice signing with signing Freiburg midfielder Wo Young Jong, who spent a lot of last season coming off the bench. But who knows what he could do with more time that he might get in. Jamie Luling is on loan from Union Berlin this year, who he may not have gotten a lot of chances with Eisern last season, but he was actually a good part of Firth when he was there two seasons ago with five goals and two assists in 33 games from the 2021-2022 season, and he left the second Bundesliga with a lot of frustrated defenders. They also just straight up signed Maximilian Mittelstedt, who has a lot of talent. I think that's not an argument, but he just couldn't make it work consistently with Hertha. In fact, in the time of this recording, unfortunately, uh, he actually had a medial collateral knee ligament strain the club announced, so we'll see what happens after that. But 50 plus donor, you might be asking, this is not really that impressive of a resume of signings as it seemed like you were going to let it. Well, the other part of the matter is that what's impressive is they're still being aggressive right now. They've been trying to get loan deals with Bayern's what-if-he-had-more-time goalkeeper Alex Newbel, uh, Bayern's Malik Tillman, who just came back from a great loan spell with Rangers. They even had a try at Jan Sommer himself, and their name could be floating around any kind of transfer rumor that you see on Twitter or wherever you get your news. Their name's always there. And that's a big sign of a club just wanting to do better. You also have to act to factor in that the best transfer news sometimes is nothing. Borna Sosa, Konstantinos Mavropanos, Wataru Endo, they all seem to be staying for another year. Despite Sosa and Mavropanos always seeming like they have a chance to leave whenever they want, uh, they, they seem to be staying so far. I feel like they would have left if they were planning on doing that. Their main loss is also really low as well, with the main names being goalkeeper Florian Müller, who he was being replaced by Bredelawa, who's on the team right now, towards the end of his last season anyway. Thiago Tomas' loan ended, and he's now on Wolfsburg. That's kind of a big loss. And you can argue Tange Kuobali's contract ending would have been more impactful had they not gotten two wingers in response. There's still time, of course, especially with Sosa and Mavropanos, but... The fact that they have a chance to keep all three for a chance to run it back in this next season, that's a huge, huge win. I'm also giving a going review right now, it seems like, but it's not to say things are perfect. 
the three signings I mentioned earlier, William Jung and that crew, uh, they have a combined 11 games started last year and a huge 36 games where they're left on the bench. They are kind of just gambling on these signings to work out, even though they haven't had the time before. They could have time in Stuttgart and not be good. There's that chance too, but it is a roll of the dice anyway. And even though they are being ambitious for a team that had barely survived relegation for the last two seasons, coming in 16th place in both, they are a team that's just that. They're almost relegated. And Sebastian Honus is going to have to prove to supporters that he has what it takes to change this path that they've been treading. As a fan of a club that is struggling sometimes, <laughs> the best you can ask for is under realizing that the club is also trying to do better too and I think if you're a fan of Stuttgart you do have to give them credit I think they you can tell that they're tired of needing to pull survival out of a hat on the last match day looks like they're just trying for bigger and better things this next season and we'll see if that pays off thank you Jake the link to the magnificent 50 plus donuts will a handler and terrific twitch show is in the show notes will Stuttgart's transfer splurge Give the passionate fans some respite from the threat of relegation this season. One thing for sure, they are not sitting on their laurels. Can't wait to have you on again, Jake. And Stuttgart will make for interesting watching this coming season. Buying players on the fringes of other teams' squads, they may not have played all that too many games, but they certainly have something to prove. Euro Tales. Euro Tales. Now, Scotland and the A-League beckons us. Scottish club hearts are mooted to be on the verge of signing highly rated midfielder Nolivhoff from Western Sydney Wanderers. There is an invasion of A-League players making the move from Australia to Scottish football in recent years. Nolan Hoff is a highly rated 22-year-old. He could prove to be somewhat of a coup for hearts. Multiple clubs around Europe were said to be interested in the young and up-and-coming midfielder. Hearts are no strangers to the A-League. The captain club have three Socceroos currently on their books. Let's get the lowdown on this talent from A-League analyst and scout Petri Patrov. And what other talents might be emerging from the A-League that European clubs should be, and probably will be, sniffing around. Hi guys. Thanks for having me and hello to everyone listening to the Euro Tales podcast. My name is Peter Petrov, A-League analyst at Football Radar and I'm here to give you some more insight about Callum Neuenhoff, Hart's new signing coming in from Western Sydney Wanderers in the A-League. So Callum is a 22-year-old midfielder uh, who played his first full season for Western Sydney Wanderers after joining uh, last summer from Sydney FC. Uh, Western Sydney's biggest rivals where he was he was released by Sydney and signed for Western Sydney Wanderers where he thrived under Marco Rodin. He started every single league game throughout the 22-23 season and was arguably one of the best if not the best central midfielders in the whole league. Uh, Neuenhoff is a very interesting profile. He's capable of of playing a couple of different roles in midfield. He's 
Uh, he's played as a number six, as the holding midfielder. He's played in a double pivot alongside another six. He's played in an advanced state position. So his skill set is really, really well-rounded. He's very hardworking and really robust, something that really stands out. He's one of the best tacklers uh, in the league, ranking in the, at a very high percentile for defensive actions, 74th percentile for successful uh, defensive actions from every midfielder in the league, which is very impressive. His tackling is great. His timing is also fantastic. Uh, he's rarely caught off guard, which, which is a testament to his um, good positional awareness. But um, he's also really good on the ball, not just off it. He he has um, he has uh, different kinds of passes in his arsenal. He can go long. He can switch play. He can break lines. Uh, he's really really interesting as a whole. He's a good maybe average to good dribbler. Uh, something that that's an issue when it comes to his dribbling is uh, his lack of explosiveness. So he's not the quickest especially in the first few steps, but, but he's smart. He, use, uh, he uses body feints, little body feints and, and tricks, which allow him to open up space or get past players or keep the ball in tight spaces. So he's a really smart player. Uh, as I said, he's, he's versatile, can be used in a couple of different positions, but my, uh, my view of him is that he's best when he's used in a double six or a double pivot, as we like to call it. Last season, he played alongside Morgan Schneiderlin, I think most people will remember him from his days at Southampton and Man United. So uh, when when paired with Schneiderlin, Neuenhoff had more freedom uh, to go forward and utilize his uh, fantastic shooting skills as well. He he scored a couple of really, really good goals from range. He has a really good shot on him, uh, which he's shown both at Sydney FC and at Western Sydney Wanderers. So that's one to Keep in mind, he can score some real bangers. So he's a really, really uh, exciting player. And I think Haas uh, fans will definitely love him. Especially if he, I, I'd really like to see him paired with Cam Devlin uh, once he's at Hearts. I think they're both really hardworking and robust players. And they could make for a really good pair in a double six. Especially if they have more creative players in front of them. So yeah, my my only issues with uh, with him as a as a player are uh, maybe his um, aerial aerial ability. He's not great in the air. He's not really small, but he's he needs to work on uh, winning the first balls uh, more regularly. And the other thing, as I mentioned, is his speed. He's not really, he's not really that fast, but um, I don't think that's a a big issue because his positioning is really good, especially uh, when it comes to the defensive part of the game. So I think uh, you uh, rarely see him caught off guard defensively, I think. And the other thing uh, I wanted to share with you guys is a couple of other players that uh, maybe could be moving to Europe soon. Uh, some names from the A-League, exciting young players similar to Neuenhoff. And we'll start with... Uh, one of his teammates in Western Sydney Wanderers, that's Aiden Simmons. Uh, Simmons is a right back. Uh, he started, actually, he started his career as a right winger, but this season he was dropped back further and he played some fantastic games at right back. He's really quick, really smart. Uh, his pass selection and dribbling selection is great. He's, um, he's really, really quick in the first few meters, so uh, he's explosive. 
uh, has that trickery and can play both inverted and uh, on the overlap. So I think people should keep an eye out on him. He's 20 years old and I'm pretty sure that if he keeps up the level he's been playing at, he can definitely, definitely uh, leave next summer for a bigger league and club. The next player I want to talk about is Adrian Segecic. Uh, one of the most exciting young attackers in Australia. He's 19 years old and uh, has um, has shown glimpses of quality for both Sydney FC and uh, some of the the out uh, setups of the Australian national team. Sejic can play uh, as a winger on both sides or as a number 10. He's extremely two-footed. It's even hard to to know which foot is his stronger. He's uh, similar to Simmons, he's really explosive, good in tight spaces and uh, excellent in finding uh, finding spaces between the lines, something that's really, really valuable nowadays. And the third player I want to talk about and share with you guys is Noah Bottage. He's a, a, a young striker, also... Uh, <coughs> Really interesting, 21 years old. He plays for Western United, uh, a, a, an expansion club in the A-League. He uh, started playing regularly at the end of last season and showed his quality, uh, both as a lone striker or in a double uh, striker partnership. He scored six goals in the A-League and has, an, has a really intriguing profile. Uh, he's a bit of a throwback when it comes to strikers. Uh, he has good hold-up play and uh, his link-up play is decent. It can get better, but his best quality is his uh, box arrivals and his finishing. He's a little, little, little finisher. And I think he definitely has future, uh, a bright future in front of him. And we'll see how he goes next season. And I guess if he has... A uh, successful year, maybe we can see him moving to Europe as well. So that's it for me, guys. Thanks for listening, and it was a pleasure for me to hop on the podcast and share some insight about these exciting young Australian players. Thanks again for having me, and all the best. Thank you, Peter. Exciting times ahead for Hearts and Nolanoff, by the sounds of it. The A-League is emerging as a hotbed of talent. The SPL thus far in Scotland seems to be the main beneficiaries of this football factory. The link to Peter's Twitter handle is in the show notes. There is no better resource for A-League talents out there. Eurotales. Eurotales. Well, that's all we've got time for. Sincere thank you to our guests and to you, pod friends, for listening. Please make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to so you don't miss future episodes. If you're a first-time listener, have a look back at the back catalogue with tales from experts and journalists from all around the globe. Please rate and review our show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening. Don't miss us between episodes. Simply follow our socials, links in the show notes, or simply search at EuroTalesPod on Twitter.
Social Podcast Network.